This is a tongue twisters taste. Take one, right? <coughs> you want this one to be really good? Yeah. Okay. Hey Momentum, we're introducing a new series this week called Tongue Twisters. And the goal is to clear up the confusion surrounding speaking in tongues. No worries though. This series will be in plain English. That was legit. <laughs> I love it. All right. Ready? Yeah. I tell you what, man, there's been so many times when I've actually preached and I felt like Peter where I opened my mouth and it inserted my foot because what came out of my mouth is not what my brain was trying to say, right? Uh, we've all done that. We've all uh, got our tongues twisted. And, um, you know, as we think about that, that, that idea, uh, speaking in tongues, who, who's ever heard of the topic of speaking in tongues, right, in the Bible? Well, do you know that speaking in tongues has also been twisted? There's a lot of confusion over what it is. Um, there's, there's been, you know, there's been conflict. There's been debate. It's, it's caused a lot of controversy. And, and so this series that we're starting is to actually clarify the confusion of speaking in tongues. So today um, is going to be, we're going to explain, I'm going to explain what it is. And, and then the next couple of weeks is going to get really, really good. You definitely don't want to miss next week if you can help it. Uh, but it's going to be really cool uh, as we kind of jump into this subject and see what God has to say uh, about it. So, you know, one of the reasons you think, well, why is it such a, a debated topic? Why is it, you know, one of these kind of controversial kind of thing? Well, I think because of the two extremes. Uh, if people who are like maybe an orthodox Christian, uh, maybe super conservative, uh, most of those people that I know, they're afraid to talk about the subject. They're like, man, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole kind of thing. But then you got the other side. you got the charismatic side where it seems like they practice it a lot, uh, maybe even to the point where maybe it's exploited or maybe even possibly misused. And so the thing about it is, it's like, okay, you got this extreme, you got this extreme. Somewhere in the middle is probably the truth. Somewhere in the middle where it's balanced is probably where it's going to make sense. Now, just a little background on myself. Um, I grew up in Tennessee most of my childhood, and I grew up in a town uh, that was, um, the, most of the churches that were in that town uh, were of a certain bend, and it was a common practice, probably one out of every three, maybe one out of every four churches practiced this thing called speaking in tongues. Now, the whole time that I was there living in that town, I didn't go really attend this church. I attended a different church, and I didn't know what any of that was. I, I was just totally clueless uh, to this, this thing in the Bible. And um, so, uh, and kind of maybe even more to the story, when I became a pastor, I remember this, man, just like, just like it was yesterday. Um, my very first pastorate, I'm in Tennessee, and uh, there... Uh, I go there, and when I got there, within a couple of weeks, there were people that were just coming out of the woodwork, and they were saying, Pastor, I want to serve, I want to help out, but I just don't know what to do. I've been praying for a long time, what God wants me to do, and I said, well, the easiest answer for me to tell you is you just, just use your spiritual gift. And most of them were saying to me, well, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is. So the Holy Spirit said, Steve, I want you to teach on spiritual gifts. And so, you know, we jump into Romans 12, we jump into 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm teaching for about three or four weeks, and at the end of that, we walk through what we call an assessment, uh, like a little test. We actually, on our website, you can go and take, the, take an, a spiritual gifts assessment. And so we go through this assessment, and then I had a Q&A session 
at the end of that whole entire study. And I'll never forget this. There's this lady named Jenny, and she was uh, one of the sweetest, most godly. She was like the godly grandma. I mean, you just wanted you just wanted to hug her all the time. I mean, she was such, she was a cheerleader for my wife and I. And uh, I remember her standing up in the in the and we had the Bible study. She stood up and she passed her. I've got a question. I said, Sure. What is it, Jenny? She says, What do you believe about tongues, or what do you believe tongues to be? And I looked at her, and I was hoping that she wouldn't have asked me that question. Because I'm looking at her and like, I actually said to her, I said, I have no idea. Now, talk about looking smart, right? I mean, you're supposed to be the pastor. You're supposed to look smart. You're supposed to have all the answers. And here's a lady asking me, what do you believe tongues to be? What is it? And I'm going, I don't know. I'm totally clueless. I have no idea what this gift is. And so maybe it was an embarrassing moment. Maybe God used that in an awesome way in my life to actually get my attention. Like, Steve, you need to do some more studying on this probably before you teach it. And so uh, I did. I didn't teach it again for several years until I knew uh, what these, how these gifts work. So, um, so I drove, it kind of drove me the next few years of just digging deep. And God began to open my eyes and open my ears and open my heart to the truth about this particular topic that's in the Bible. Now, before we jump into the scripture today uh, and discuss this topic, there's some things that you need to know. So if you want to write, you can write down some notes if you want to. There's some things that you need to know about tongues. The first thing is, is it's not just a New Testament thing. It's actually found also in the Old Testament. Um, It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It is a gift of the Spirit. There's a big difference. There's a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit. Um, also, too, this, this gift of tongues can either be permanent or it can be temporary that, that the Holy Spirit gives to a believer. So that's kind of a, just to set us up as we jump in to Acts chapter number 2. Now, why are we going to Acts chapter 2? Why are we starting there? Because this is where the spot is where all the debate and all the controversy and all the confusion starts, okay? Who's ever read Acts chapter 2, all right? Several of you, great. Okay, so Acts chapter 2 is kind of where all this whole idea of confusion of tongues is. So um, as you're going there, let me just kind of set the stage here so you understand that we interpret Scripture correctly. So have you guys have ever wondered how the Bible works? You're like, man, I like to know how the Bible actually works because it just seems like there's a piece, you know, there's this subject and this subject, and it seems like there's such disconnect. Um, if you're interested in learning how the Bible works on Sunday nights in our life group uh, at Ron and Debbie's house uh, that we do, uh, we're actually going through a study called How the Bible Works. So we've been teach, I've been teaching on the types of literature, the, new, the, the, the testaments. Tonight we start on the covenants. Last couple of weeks we actually were looking at all the major events of the Bible. Uh, so we'll be looking at the covenants starting tonight. But now here's the thing about the books of the Bible. Uh, there's five different categories for the books of the Bible. The book of Acts is a historical book. Say that with me, historical book. It's a historical book. It's not a doctrinal book. The major doctrinal book in the New Testament is Romans, okay? Romans is major. The the minor doctrinal book of the New Testament is Ephesians. You can say that Ephesians is the mini version of Romans. You know, so Paul wrote Romans, he wrote Ephesians. He also wrote a book called Galatians. That's Paul writing Romans mad, okay? So he's, he's upset. So if you think about it that way. So these are major, those are the doctrinal books of the Bible, of the New Testament. The book of Acts is not a doctrinal book. It's a historical book, okay? So we must interpret Scripture based on the historical aspect of it, okay? That's why we need to look at it that way. Now, here, I'll say this to you. There has been a bunch of heresies 
and a bunch of cults that have been created uh, that people took Scripture out of the book of Acts and created either a denomination or some sort of a cult or here. So you guys with me so far? And I'll give you an example. Acts 2.38, uh, that's one that's been uh, misinterpreted. Acts chapter 8, verse 16. Acts chapter 15, verse 5. Acts 18, verse 8. They've built doctrines out of the book of Acts, which is not a doctrinal book. It is a historical book. So when we get into talking about speaking in tongues, where it's been created as a doctrine, it's been misinterpreted because this is a historical event, not necessarily a doctrinal event, okay? So this will start making more sense to you as we jump into this. So let's do this. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Now, this is the day of Pentecost, and we'll, I'll talk about what that is in just a minute, but just, just kind of track with me on this. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues. Now, if you notice there, I have this word called glossa. Now, that's a Greek word, so we're going to talk about that word and a couple other Greek words in this study today, okay? So this is a session. It's probably less preaching and more teaching, so I want you guys to get this because this is going to set us up big time for next week, okay? So it says that there appeared to them tongues or glossa as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other what? Tongues or glossa, okay, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, check this out. Here's the thing. When God is getting ready to do a big thing, all right, I mean, He's going to do some big major move, a big manifestation, right? There's, he all, there's always a unique thing that He does. It's a unique way that He does it. For instance, when God sent the great world, the worldwide flood, the deluge, was that a unique thing? Right? We never had one since that, right? Okay. We've had some local floods, but not a worldwide flood. Um, when when, uh, when uh, God talked to Moses, he talked to him out of a what? A burning bush. Does that ever happen? Never get sent? That's a unique opportunity, unique way that God actually moved and manifested in Moses' life, right? The, the, the parting of the Red Sea, right? It's another one, right? The walls of Jericho coming down. So God's moving and manifesting in a, in a, in a unique way, uh, and so He does that specifically. Now, here's another one, the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost is not called the day of Pentecost because people start, were speaking in tongues. The day of Pentecost was already a day that was part of the Jewish calendar, okay? There's three major feasts in the Jewish calendar. You've got Passover, you've got the second one, which is Pentecost, and then the third one is the Feast of the Booths. Now, Pentecost is also known as the Feast of the Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits. So the reason it's called Pentecost, does anybody know what Penta means? Five, right? So Pentecost is actually 50. So you have the Passover, then you have seven weeks, seven days, that's 49 days, and then the 50th day is called Pentecost. It's called the Feast of the Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits. So here's what's going down. Jesus has, a, has risen from the dead. He spends 40 days with His disciples, okay? And then what does Jesus do after that? He ascends back to heaven, right? Before Jesus goes back to heaven, he's talking to his disciples at the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, and also in the beginning of Acts. And he basically says to them, hey guys, I want you to wait on the promise of the Father. 
hey, John baptized you with water, but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, okay? So he's setting the stage. So about a week later, they're all in the upper room, maybe a place like this, maybe not as cool as this one, but they're all in the upper room. There's 120 people. I'd be pretty hard to pack 120 people in here. Michael's freaking out because he's a safety guy. He goes, man, that's a fire hazard right there. But anyway, so they're in, a, they're in an upper room. They're just hanging out, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up in a unique way, all right? There's not been an event ever since like this in this situation, okay? Fire, wind, I mean, this is amazing time. All 120 people are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues. Now, you say, well, pastor, what do you mean, other tongues? Remember that word I showed you a minute ago? It's the word glossa. Say that word with me, glossa, okay? So glossa is where we get the English word glossary. You guys remember when you were in school and you were like, you know, they would, you have to take like a little, like a quiz and then you have to write down uh, words from the glossary, right? And you had to memorize those. What is a glossary? A glossary is simply this. It is a language with a written vocabulary. It's where we get a dictionary. You open up a dictionary, it's got words of our vocabulary, right? Okay? So here's the deal. Pentecost, major feast, right? A th- there's thousands of people that are in town. So thousands of people show up that are, come to Passover, Feast of the Booths. Right here, there's, there's thousands of Jews not only visiting, but here's what the, the text we're going to read in just a minute. There's thousands of Jews who had moved back to the motherland. You say, what do you mean move back? I thought they all lived there. No, because if you read history uh, of, the Jewish, of the Jewish nation, you'll know that some of them got dispersed by the Assyrians, some were dispersed by the Babylonians, some of them were living in Greece, some were living in, in, in Rome, uh, you know, in Italy, they're, in Egypt, they're living all over the place. And so some of them actually had moved back, so they grew up, they were born and raised in those other countries, but because they were their Jewish heritage, they decided to move to Jerusalem, back to the motherland. Now, in chapter 2... It lists 16 different countries or languages. Watch this. Verse 9 through 11. It says Parthians, Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about, the, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. Now, these are different parts of the world. This is, this is different countries or nations. Did all of them speak Jewish? No. Egyptians spoke what? Egyptian, right? Romans spoke Latin. Greeks spoke Greek. So here it is. It's speaking about these, these people from 16 different countries who were Jews had converged on the city. And now watch what it says. We do hear them speak in our own what? In our own tongues, in our own glossa the wonderful works of God. So 16 different languages, uh, you can, if, you, if you're a detailed person, you'll probably like this. Those 16 different languages can be divided into five geographical areas uh, in the Middle East. In fact, every ancient language can be traced back to one place. You know what that is? The Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, it says, if you read in Genesis chapter 11, that before the Tower of Babel, the entire world spoke how many tongues? One tongue. A tongue. Now, one language. They spoke one language. This is 2500 BC, okay? They spoke one language. 
Now, if we need some more proof here, uh, understanding what tongues is and what it's not, um, now, I'm not trying to brag here, but you know, some of you guys have been to my house. You guys have seen my library, right? I got a lot of books. I got books on top of the book. I got, I got, I'm trying to give books away. I'm trying to give Mike a bunch of my books, okay? But anyway, uh, just over time, brother. But anyway, so, but some of you guys might know this, but I own 70 copies of the Bible, okay? 70 copies, all different versions. I got a couple of the, some old, my grandmother gave me an old uh, King James Version, but I actually have my own copies of King James Version, but one of my, one of those was one that was built by D.L. Moody. Now, he didn't personally build it, but it was a copy that, a, a replica that he said, hey, this is the best ones for students. But in the, you know what a fly page is in a, in a Bible or a book? That's like the first couple pages that are blank. Right after the fly page, it says this, old authorized King James Version. The Holy Bible containing the Old and New Testaments translated out of the original tongues and with the former translations diligently compared and revised. What are the original tongues that the King James was translated out of? Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in in Greek. So it's translated out of the original tongues, and it says, and with former translations diligently compared and revised. Now, for any of those that are listening, maybe on Facebook Live or whatever, uh, you may be still arguing. You say, you know what, okay, I don't have enough proof, Steve. I'm kind of a skeptic because uh, I've understood tongues to be something totally different. Give me some more proof. Okay, let's do that. So let's go to the actual, to the King James Version because I normally preach out of the New American Standard. But the King James Version, verses two through five through eight, I want you to see this because this will blow your mind. Watch this. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews devout men out of every what? Out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, okay, the multitude came together. What noise are we talking about? Remember, 120 people in an upper room. The windows are probably open. The doors are probably open. And there's this great noise. Can you imagine? You guys ever been in a room with 120 people and everybody's talking, right? That's a loud noise, right? Watch this. Now, there was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own what? Language. Now, here's Luke writing because he wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. Here is Luke. Now, all of a sudden, he changes words. He uses word in verse 1 through 4. He uses the word glossa, but now he uses a different word. What is it? What is it? Dialectus. What does is, what is that translate? What, what word do we get in English for that? Dialect. Boom. Okay, let's continue on. And they were all amazed and they were marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? And how we hear every man in our own dialect where we were born. So here's the thing. Imagine the scene. Just kind of imagine the scene with me. 120 people all talking at the same time. The windows are open. One or two blocks, maybe three blocks away, the noise is so loud that there's people that are in town that had moved there, and they moved from different parts of the nation, or different parts of the world. They've moved back to the motherland, and all this multitude of thousands of people hear these Galileans talking. Not just 16 different languages, but they are speaking in a specific dialect. The word dialectus means discourse. It means to discuss or reason together. Every single culture, every ethnic group has its own lingo, right, and own accents, right? Uh, Brother Jeff over here, back in the back, our, our worship leader, he, 
was on the East Coast, and he drove the whole way. That's a lot of driving. But he went through Oklahoma, and he went through Ohio, and all these different places. And every, if you've ever been to, traveled, you know that different parts of our country, there's different lingos and dialects, right? Or accents. I mean, you guys could probably hear a little bit of my accent, right? A little bit of that Tennessee. You get around my wife, it's a lot more, right? So with English, you know, with English, we got all these variations. We got not just the U.S., but you know, you got English, you got you've got you know Scottish English, and you've got British English. You've got you've got you know Ireland, and you got South America. You got Australian English, and even within each one of those, there's all these dialects. You even take Spanish. The Spanish that you hear in Spain compared to Cuba is a little bit different Spanish, right? It's a different accent. Mexico, Pan America. You go even from Nicaragua to Guatemala, you know, and they're right next door, or Honduras. You cross the line, there's all these different small dialects. And so what's going on here is this. Verse 4, the Holy Spirit manifested the gift of tongues to 120 people who at that moment... 3,000 people not only heard the 16 different languages, but they heard their own dialect from the city and the small geographical areas that, that they grew up in. You can imagine a family of four, a family of 12. They moved from different parts of the world, little, little places in the backwoods of somewhere. And there's a specific accent. And these people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, were able to speak that accent to they're in that room, and so these people actually heard the gospel spoken to them in this powerful, unique move of God. So the, the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost was not a manifestation of heavenly gibberish. It wasn't some sort of secret language. It wasn't some sort of Gnostical super experience. But no, what it was, was God communicating the gospel to the Jewish people, to His people. Now, you may be saying, wait a second, Pastor. Okay, that makes a lot of sense now. I understand now uh, glossa, and I understand dialectos. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's speaking about a written language. Okay, okay, okay. But what about the, what about the speaking uh, in tongues of angels? Who's ever heard of speaking in tongues of angels, right? So let's look at that. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to go with me in your Bible, I'm going to take you there and I'm going to take you one other spot in the book of Mark as we close out the sermon today because a couple of controversial things I want to hit before we lay this up for next week. So 1 Corinthians 13, it's known as the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says, if I speak with the what? The tongues, the glossa of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, Paul writes. Now, it's very obvious that mankind has languages with written vocabulary, right? But what about angels? Do angels have written vocabulary? So, let me do it this way. Let me talk about the word angel. Now, in the Greek, there's two different words for angel. One of them is the ministering spirits that God's servants, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? They say they got wings and they float and all that kind of stuff, right? But we're talking about ministering spirit. That's one word for angel. There's a whole other word in Greek called agelos. Agelos is speaking of a messenger. Now you say, well, Gabriel was a messenger. You know, he brought the news to Mary that she was going to be pregnant. I understand that. But when, it's, when the word agelos is used, almost every single time it's speaking of a human. So speaking of a human person who has a message. Now, let me prove it. 
Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Here's John under the inspiration of Christ. He says, Jesus says to him, hey, I want you to pin down some prophecies. You're going to write to the seven churches of Asia Minor. You guys read that before, right? I'm going to write to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to write. And so he gives seven specific messages through John to each one of the churches. Here's what he says. To the angel of the church in this city. To the angel of the church in this city. Now, track with me. If God was sending a message to one of his holy ministering angels, his ministering spirit, does he need to write a letter? No. He just talks to them, right? He just talks to them. Who needs written information? We do. There, there's, there, we have this thing called the Bible. <laughs> it's God's message to us in a written form, right? In a language that we can understand. Ours, we, we read English. Now, some of you may be super awesome in here, and you can read Spanish fluently. I don't know. But here's the thing. You have, there's a written language, and God has penned the Bible down uh, through through writers, and, and we have an author, which is God himself. He's inspired the Word of God. Uh, so he doesn't need, uh, and he, he's not writing these letters in, in Revelation 2 and 3. He's not writing to ministering spirits. He's writing to a jealous, to messengers of the church. Who are the messengers of the church? Who are the messengers of the local church? The pastors, the preachers. So he's saying, hey, I want you to send a message. I want you to write this letter to the pastors of these churches, Thyatira and Ephesus and, and, and all those, the, the seven. I want you to write a specific message to them to give to their congregations. Now, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, here's the thing. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and what, how do we interpret that? Here's how we interpret that. If I fluently speak with another written human language, and I am able to deliver a word from the Lord as a prophetic messenger, but I do it without agape love, it is worthless. If I can speak with another language, if I can, my, my first pastor could speak seven languages. He spoke and wrote seven languages. If, if I could do like my first pastor did, Pastor Ron, if I could do like he did, and, and maybe I have a, an awesome word from the Lord, but I don't do it with agape love, it doesn't mean anything. Amen? So the tongue of men and the angels is not a secret language. It's not heavenly gibberish. And here's the thing. Regardless if a person claims to be speaking in a human language or claims to be speaking a prophetic message from God, any tongues that are outside of those limits or outside of love is just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. They're just making a bunch of noise. Boom. Now, before I close, let me handle one more controversy, okay? First, I think one controversy for me is it's hot in here. Is it, is it hot in here to you guys? Okay, all right, maybe it's just me, all right. Okay, because I'm burning up. Maybe it's this long sleeve shirt I got on. Maybe I should put a t-shirt on this brother over here. So, but here's the thing. Uh, have you guys ever heard it taught that, um, that those that have true salvation should be able to speak in tongues? Have you ever heard that before? Okay. Have you ever heard that maybe, okay, well, if someone can't speak in tongues, that means they just haven't got the Holy Spirit yet, so to speak. Like, you know, they're saved, but they can't speak in tongues, so they don't have the Holy Spirit Okay, where do people get that? Well, it's a misinterpretation out of Mark 16. 
So the end of, uh, end of the book of Mark, Jesus is getting ready to depart, and he is speaking to his disciples, okay? Now, some of the heresies that have come out of Mark 16, or people have been taught, like one is in verse number 9, uh, people say that Mary Magdalene and Jesus, they were a couple, or, you know, they were, they were lovers. Uh, verse number 16, uh, we're trying to say that baptism is required to be saved, okay? That's another thing that's been created. Um, and then we get here in the tongues, um, we'll find in Mark 16 that every... Um, Every believer that he's talking to will receive the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of exorcism, and then also the gift of invincibility. Like, like to have that, the gift of invincibility, right? That'd be awesome, right? But here's the thing. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to us? Is he talking to every single believer that would ever come? Here's the thing. If, you, if every believer had the gift of healing, would we ever get sick or would we stay healthy? In fact, if you had the gift of healing, or we all did, we just have to lay hands on ourselves, say, I'm healed, right? And then I'm not sick, right? But who's he talking to? Is he talking to every believer that would come after that, or is he talking to a specific few? He's talking to a specific few. Because if you read in the context, he's speaking to the 11 disciples. Now, one of the disciples hung himself, Judas Iscariot, right? So he's got 11 core group guys left, and he gives them a personal admonition. In fact, two times in the text, he says he's speaking to those who have believed. It's in the aorist tense of the Greek, which means the people that, that already had believed at that moment, which is we know 11 people and the 120 that we know that were in the upper room for sure, without a doubt. They were going to be able to give, have the gifts of speaking in tongues, the gifts of exorcism, the gift of miracles, the gifts of healing, and so on and so forth. Now, what was Jesus trying to point out? He was trying to point out his current disciples there in 33 AD, including the apostles, would have some sign gifts. Now, who's ever heard of Dr. David Jeremiah? You guys like Dr. David Jeremiah? He breaks the gifts down into four categories. He says there's speaking gifts, there's serving gifts, there's special gifts, but there's also sign gifts. He says, all right, these apostles would have sign gifts. You say, what's a sign gift? A sign gift is basically a gift that confirms or authenticates the gospel. See, because the Jews look for signs, but the Greeks look for wisdom. So he's going to use these apostles to speak to the Jewish people because they had totally missed the Messiah coming, right? They totally ignored it. He says, all right, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys some special gifts so when you go out and preach the gospel, the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles will confirm and authenticate the gospel that they need to hear. Now, as I come to a close, you guys have heard me say this before. Scripture interprets Scripture, right? So if we take a position like, well, you've got to uh, be able to speak in tongues if you're really saved. Well, if we take that position, we should be able to find other verses that actually support that claim or that position. But what if we can't? What in fact, what if in fact that if we had that position and believe that, but then there's other verses that actually say the opposite, then what do we have? Well, we have a possible believing in a heresy. So let me close with this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29 through 30. Watch this. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing and he's, again, 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth because they were very confused by things. And here's what he says. He asks some questions. Are all are not apostles, are they? 
All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? Now watch, what's the next one say? All do not speak with tongues, do they? Not all interpret, do they? So here's Paul trying to point out. He says, listen, he says, the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes the gifts of the Spirit. Now, every believer doesn't have every gift, but every believer has the fruits of the Spirit, right? Every believer may not have all the gifts of the Spirit, but every believer is supposed to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, right? Kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness, right? All those are actually evident in a believer. But the gifts of the Spirit, not everybody has every one, and not everybody were able to speak in tongues. So as we come to a close, now I said that three, four times, but here we are. All of those that are listening are of one of two conclusions. Either that you're confirmed here, you're like, okay, pastor, thank you. I finally understand. I understand what glosa is. I understand what dialectos is. This is making a lot of sense. I'm very relieved because maybe I've been, I've heard wrong. I believed wrong. I've been thought wrong. Praise God. Or maybe some of you are still conflicted. Maybe some of you are angry. You're like, man, I am so mad because I have been taught the wrong thing about Acts chapter 2. Or maybe you're just in total disagreement. You say, I, I've, I've, I've had a different experience. What I have witnessed these other tongues it was not a human language. It was something else, and it was, it was a move of God. Okay? Let's define tongues this way. Here's what it says. Here, if you want to write this down. Tongues is this. It's a supernatural ability by the Holy Spirit, right? A supernatural ability by the Holy Spirit to speak a human language that you have not naturally acquired or, or, excuse me, on your own in order to communicate the gospel. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of languages out there that we can learn. We can take Rosetta Stone, right, and learn a language. But speaking in tongues is a supernatural ability to learn a language that God gives you to either speak or to understand for the whole purpose of communicating the gospel. So we know the definition. We understand what happened on Pentecost. Now, here's the question as we close to jump into next week. What do we do? What do we do with unknown tongues? And what do we do with ecstatic tongues? What do we do and how do we decipher the extreme behavior that we hear about or have seen maybe on television or maybe in person? What do we do with that behavior when it comes to tongues and being slain in the spirit and all that stuff? What do we do with that? Next week, we're going to jump into that and find out what the Apostle Paul has to say about that type of behavior. Thanks for listening to the Momentum Life podcast. To find out more about Momentum Church, visit MomentumChurchAZ.com.